0: Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager, Joined in the studio today with Reverend Allison Harrington. She's the pastor at Southside Presbyterian Church, which has made a real mark on the community of Tucson over the years. They're going to be having a big celebration of Pastor Emeritus John Fife's 50 years of ministry in the Borderlands on November 18th, from 4 to 7.30 p.m. at Southside Presbyterian Church, 317 West 23rd. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: And congratulations on this milestone.
1: Yeah, it's a big congratulations for John that he made it this far. (laughs) He's gotten in a lot of trouble throughout his Uh, Years of ordained ministry, and so we're just so delighted to be able to celebrate 50 years of ordained ministry here in the Borderlands.
0: You just mentioned John Mm Fife and getting in trouble. I'm not sure that everyone thinks of pastors as that way, but what is Southside Presbyterian Church known for, and how might he have gotten in what is considered to be trouble?
1: (laughs) Well, I think nationally, Southside Presbyterian Church is known as the birthplace of the sanctuary movement. In the 1980s, we were among 400 other churches that were responding to the crisis of Central American refugees fleeing the civil wars in in El, El Salvador and in Guatemala. And so that's probably what he's most infamous for. <laughs> he was, of course, one of those who was indicted on charges in relationship to his work with sanctuary. I think here in Tucson, we're known as the sanctuary church, but I think they were also known as a community institution that is the hub of a lot of the social justice work that happens here in Tucson, especially in regards to the undocumented-led organizing work. Our worker center, um, which has been around since 2006, is really an anchor organization in that broader undocumented-led organizing. And since the worker center is there at Our church, um, a lot of the meetings that happen um, in regards to immigration and and immigrant rights also happens at Southside. So I think that we're kind of known as a community institution working on issues of of justice here in the borderlands. Well, I think that for us, we were really excited to celebrate this anniversary for John of 50 years of causing trouble for the Lord Um, because in this moment when so much is at stake in, in our nation and in our communities, it's good to be able to look back to the leadership that has brought us this far in terms of um, justice and human rights and really be able to allow the past and the past victories to help us cast a vision for what we might still be able to do um, today in Tucson.
0: What are some of your visions for the future?
1: Well, you know, we continue to be active in the sanctuary movement and we continue to work with congregations both here in Tucson, but also across the nation, um, encouraging them to consider opening their houses of worship to those who are faced with um, deportation under the Trump administration.
0: Uh, Tucson, Tucsonans may recall seeing signs that say, I stand with Rosa mm-hmm. and you provided sanctuary for Rosa. Mm-hmm. Talk about that experience for you as a pastor and for your church. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Rosa, um, as many people will remember, was an undocumented mother who was facing deportation. And under the Obama administration's policies, she really shouldn't have been a priority for deportation. And so we took her into sanctuary and were able to work with her to mount a campaign to stop her deportation order. And she was in sanctuary for 461 days, which is a really long time. I like to say if there was a PhD in fighting Goliath, we would have got it during that time. But there's a lot you can learn in 461 days about what it means to provide hospitality to somebody, what it means to support a family, what it means to do online organizing and, and advocate for an individual, and what it means to go to D.C. and talk to officials in the Department of Homeland Security. I, I think we were learning all about that, and our, and our, our church um, community was learning about Uh, not just organizing potlucks like churches like to do, but what does it mean to organize protests and marches as well? I think that one of the really interesting things that that I learned during that time was about really understanding where does our hope come from in this particular moment. And I think that with the Obama administration, um, when Obama was elected in 2008, um, we all, many of us, had great hope in the future of our country, and and quickly he disappointed, especially in regards to immigration being the administration that has deported more people than any other previous administration, three million. And so, it was an interesting moment to realize that hope and salvation is never going to come from places of power like D.C., but hope is always going to come from communities like Tucson, who are organized and mobilized to make concrete. Changes in in our communities, and I think that's a, a lesson that we carry forward today. That that we can't ever look to those who are in power, those who are in D.C. to make our lives better. We always have to look to one another, and we always need to work alongside others to create a community that is compassionate and founded on principles of justice. And so, I think those are some of the things that that we learned um, with Rosa was just that. The power of a community like Tucson is unstoppable.
0: What are some of the other ministries of Southside Presbyterian Church?
1: That's a great question. So we're known as the sanctuary church, but in fact, we really provide sanctuary in a lot of different ways. So after the uh, sanctuary movement in the 1980s wrapped up because the peace accords were signed in El Salvador in 1992 or 93, around that time, Southside was in a position of kind of looking around and wondering, what what do we do now? Because the work of sanctuary had consumed their, their lives for a decade. And so as they looked around their church property, they saw showers, showers that had been installed to allow those refugees from um, Central America to, to bathe. And so recognizing that there's other people in our community that need sanctuary, and they need a safe place to be welcomed, um, we opened those showers up to homeless in our community. And so since uh, around that time, since uh, the early 90s, we have been running a homeless program on Mondays and uh, Fridays that serves uh, our homeless siblings and neighbors um, in our community. And it's a a beautiful program because it, it doesn't just provide some basic needs like showers and food and haircuts and clothing, but it also provides an opportunity for homeless people to actually become volunteers in the program, and so they're, they're the ones who are running the program. And it's, it's an amazing thing because for many of our homeless friends, they've been told for the past however long they've been homeless that they're worthless, um, that they can't contribute, that they are no good, that they're good for nothing, right? And so when you allow them to take ownership of a program, like our homeless program, which is called Cross Street Ministries, they're allowed to reclaim their dignity for themselves, saying, I am worth something. I can contribute in, in really powerful ways to my community. And it makes, a, it makes a huge difference in how people see themselves. And It's it's a, been a huge blessing. And in, in many ways, we offer sanctuary to those homeless folks and allow them to enter into a space where they're valued and they're loved and they're contributing members of the program. Another one of our main programs is the Worker Center, the Southside Worker Center, and that's one of the programs that, we, that we're that we very, very proud of. Um, I mentioned it before. In 2006, we opened up our parking lot to day laborers who had for decades gathered and congregated in our little neighborhood, and they needed a safe place to be where they were free from interaction with police and and certainly interaction with Border Patrol. And so they started gathering in our, in our parking lot, and it, at first it was a you know, a a hiring site. And that was pretty much all it was. And that was was beautiful and that was good. And we were able to provide protection to the workers. A lot of times with undocumented um, workers, sometimes employers won't pay them. They'll leave them stranded in the middle of nowhere. And if they try to advocate for themselves, they can threaten to call Border Patrol. And so we wanted to have a community of support that could um, help them regain lost wages. That existed for for many years. Um, And then in 2010, with the passage of SB 1070, There was this kind of fire that went through the worker center when these men realized that they couldn't just remain in the shadows anymore, that they needed to uh, speak up for themselves and organize to uh, protect themselves um, in relationship to the very anti-immigrant legislation that was SB 1070. So at that time, we started to do other things like leadership academies, organizing trainings, our workers kind of reshaped the center into a community organization that was doing campaigns, that was doing Know Your Rights trainings, that was doing support for those who are in detention. Several of our workers have become nationally known in the day labor community for their activism. There was one member who participated in the UndocuBus, which was a bus that was organized by the National Day Labor Organizing Network to travel along the south of the United States up to the Democratic National Convention to protest Obama's uh, deportation policies. And, and they, they got arrested there in front of the, the DNC. And we had other members who went to Washington DC again to protest deportation policies and were arrested there. And so we're really proud of our relationship with the Worker Center and for the ways in which they have organized in beautiful ways to make our community more immigrant friendly. And then, of course, we have a long relationship with the Samaritans. The Samaritans came out of Southside, and they're still um, a ministry of our church. And and we're very grateful for that steadfast work of going out into the desert every day to put life-saving water on migrant trails.
0: You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager, joined in the studio with Pastor Allison Harrington. She's the pastor at Southside Presbyterian Church. Before Southside Presbyterian Church was known for sanctuary, tell us more about your church.
1: You know, the history of Southside is, is so fascinating to me and to many of us at Southside. So when migration began to happen in the turn of the century, so 1901, 1902, 03, the Tana Otham began to move into the city to help work on the railroad and then just to get jobs. Um, they, they migrated from the reservation into town. And because they had been baptized Presbyterian, they went to the local Presbyterian church and said, well, here we are, we've moved into town and, and now we're ready to go to church. And that was 1903, 02. And so you can imagine that a white congregation did not throw its arms open in the way that we might have hoped they, they did. And so they said, well, it would really be better if you had your own church to worship in. So this was during the time of a great deal of segregation. And so Southside Presbyterian Church, which was known at that time as Papago Presbyterian Church, was founded and established where Southside exists today on, on 23rd Street. Of course, that wasn't part of Tucson at that time. And for a long time, they worshiped in a tent, a big tent. And then in 1906, they built, the the walls of of the church were built, the the, the actual structure was built. It's, It's so interesting to me that out of an experience of racism and prejudice and exclusion, Southside was born. And so I think that that experience is kind of in our DNA, that we are a congregation that knows what it means to not be welcome. We are a congregation that knows what it means to... Be told you don't belong here. And I think that early experience is just kind of grafted into our identity. It's really interesting because in the beginning, the church was, even though it was called Papago Presbyterian Church, it wasn't just Taon Othem, it was Taon Otham and Mexican and Chinese who were also had migrated because of the of the railroad. And so from the very beginning, it was this really diverse and rich congregation. It's interesting because they would have to translate the service in in many different languages so everybody could could understand and as a as a mission church, the pastor who was the organizing pastor understood that he needed to not just provide for their spiritual care but also just their care in general. and because they were segregated from the rest of society, he had to provide more things for them dances, um, social, gatherings, things of that nature. The pastor's wife at that time would also help the young Tana Atom, um young ladies who were doing domestic work in white homes in Tucson. She would help negotiate wages and negotiate if there was a problem. And so it's this rich, very rich history. At the late 1930s, the church actually burned down. And because that was during the Great Depression, they couldn't rebuild right away. And so they continued to worship, but they worshiped in people's homes around that, that barrio. And then in uh, the mid '40s, a new pastor came. His name was Peter Samano. Um, he was a Mexican American um, gentleman, and he wanted to kind of reorganize and rebuild the church. But at that time, he said to the to the mission board that was kind of had governance over the church. He said, I have this vision of uh, of a multicultural church. And this was the 1940s, right? We started talking about multiculturalism in like the 80s, maybe. In the 1940s, he was talking about it, and they thought, you're crazy. It's never going to work, but go ahead and try it. Um, and it worked, and they rebuilt the church, and it became a vibrant congregation um, once again. And then in the, in the mid-50s, we had uh, the Reverend Casper Glenn, who was an African-American pastor, was hired by the church. John Fife always talks about it being a a very strange kind of hire because this was a, at this point, a Native American and a Mexican American church hiring an African American pastor. I mean, it it was a very interesting um, choice for them to make. And it was one that they count themselves very lucky to have made for many years. Casper is an amazing man. He's still alive. He's coming to preach at Southside in January, I believe. And at that time, he was the president of the local NAACP. And at this time in in Tucson's history, we were going through desegregation of public facilities. And so the stories that are told is of people leaving worship, picking up a picket sign on the way out of worship and going straight to to picket local uh, restaurants that had not desegregated. And at that time, I only found this out recently, uh, Dr. King actually came to Tucson, which is so interesting. I'd never really heard about that. And he was doing different sermons and and presentations in different churches. And when he met Casper and Casper told him about our church, Dr. King was very interested because he didn't have a lot of background working with Native Americans or even knowing them. And so he came to our church and toured the place, which is really so cool, and then um, Reverend Glenn Casper took him out to the reservation to kind of interact and and to meet some of the tribal members out there. So that's a really special part of our history. And then in 1969 John Fife came, and John Fife came with a, a theology that was very much rooted in the idea that God calls us to build a more just world. And so right away, John was involved in a variety of different issues here in Tucson. He was part of organizing against the golf course at El Rio. And he was really involved in affordable housing for Native Americans and uh, was doing solidarity work with Wounded Knee back in the 70s. And then in the 1980s, obviously became really active and took a leadership role in in the work of Sanctuary. So it's interesting to think about our our history, because there's like this, this theme that runs throughout it all. It's not just that one day we woke up to injustice and decided to do something, but it's really part of our experience as a congregation to have personally felt what that, what persecution and oppression feels like. And then how God comes along to comfort those who are the victims of oppression, but also comes along to empower them to stand up for themselves and to raise their voices against oppression and injustice.
0: Reverend Harrington, that's such a rich history i think i only know the mm. tip of the iceberg
1: yeah and we've been very proud to have john um still active in the life of our church you know he was the pastor at southside for 35 years and was just instrumental in in so many ways in the life of our church and in terms of forming that congregation as a people of faith a people of welcome here in the borderlands
0: Were you the pastor immediately after him?
1: In the Presbyterian tradition, you have to have an interim in between. So there was a couple interims. So I came, oh gosh, maybe four or five years after he retired. And then he stayed away for a year. There's all these kinds of rules (laughs) that you have to abide by. But certainly people in Tucson know John well and uh, know that he's a big personality. And so when I talk to pastors across the nation, they think I'm crazy that that he's back in worship. Because it's pretty rare for a pastor to worship in the congregation. But after a year of kind of letting me settle into the rhythms and seasons of the church, um, I invited him back. And, you know, I had two maternity leaves in the past eight years, and he always stepped in and preached for me and did pastoral care. And so he's he's a wonderful partner in ministry, and I'm deeply grateful for that. I think John's an, an interesting guy because he doesn't see the boundaries of ministry as confined to the walls of a of a church, he's been so active here in the Tucson community in so many ways, primarily through the work of No More Deaths and um, and Samaritans and other organizations throughout the years. And I, I think that Southside owes him a great debt, but I think Tucson does too because he's really he's really made our con- our, our community uh, a better place. Um, and I have to say, um, he's he's been a, a great colleague and someone who he's my biggest fan and he is my number one supporter. And so it's been lovely to have an older man, an older clergyman to be so supportive of a younger clergywoman and to constantly be finding ways to support my leadership and and put me out front when others might seek to still be in the the limelight or however you might call it.
0: (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about the celebration coming up next weekend.
1: We're really, we're very excited. It's going to be a very South Side kind of celebration. It's happening in our church parking lot. And there's going to be mariachis and Gertie and the Tio boys will be playing. And everyone loves Gertie and the T.O. boys. And um, and we're going to be having pictures that show kind of the history of our, of our church. Um, we'll have good food provided by Casa Maria and um, who we just, I mean, who doesn't love Casa Maria and their work. And um, there'll be a little... I think there'll be a few speeches, but very brief. It'll be kind of a time just to really celebrate, to be with one another, and to celebrate the ministry that we have shared in these past several decades and celebrate it with the point of of understanding that things are so hard right now, both within Tucson and within the nation. Things are things are hard and things are bleak when it comes to the work of Jesus justice and and human rights. And so it's good to be able to celebrate the work that has been done as a way to strengthen us for the
0: work ahead. The celebration taking place on November 18th at the Southside Presbyterian Church, 317 West 23rd Street from 4 to 7.30 p.m.
1: And people will be able to see the facilities at Southside where you are in the middle of a capital campaign. I like to say our... uh, our place has been worn down completely by making Tucson a better place. <laughs> it's the Kiva. People are familiar with our, our worship space, the Kiva, because there's so many events that happen in the Kiva, press conferences, events, concerts. People are, are familiar with it. And it's beautiful. And, we, and we, we love that space. And we love having the community in that space. But the rest of the campus is, is pretty run down because we've used it really well. And we have... Part of the ministry of our congregation is to welcome other groups in to use the space for their own activities, their own events. And so we're excited to be able to launch this capital campaign in order to strengthen our church as a community institution where people can depend on the use of the space for the furtherance of their own mission and projects and vision in, the, in our community. These times are so challenging, but, you know, here we are in the anniversary of the election, basically, a year, a year later. And for many of us, it was a devastating uh, kind of election and results. But another amazing thing happened on November 8th of 2016. And that was that Joe Arpaio was pushed out of office by undocumented-led organizing that was led by Puente, an organization up in Maricopa County. And so I, I look to both of those moments because I think that, you know, we talk about, That Arizona has been used as kind of a laboratory for like this kind of nativism, this really anti immigrant racism that is that was basically put into the hands of a man who ran on the campaign of of building the wall. People talk about the Arizonification of America. Um, but the interesting thing is is that with S B ten seventy, what we saw was not communities shrinking back in fear from these this anti-immigration sentiment and 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 policies and practices, but rather rising up. And so I think that Arizona and Tucson in particular, we really have um, a story to tell people nationally. Um, what does it mean to survive in in really dire political environments? because we have been living under a Trump administration for how long? For a long time, more than a year, right? Kind of the policies that he's now enacting have been the policies of our legislature for a long time. And so we have not only survived that, but we have thrived and we have pushed back and we have succeeded in defeating people like Arpaio and establishing protections and defending ethnic studies and and all these kinds of things. And so I think that when the election happened a year ago, people really did look to red states to say, okay, what were your strategies for survival? in these past few years? And what can we learn from you? And I think that Tucson has a powerful lesson um, to be able to share with the rest of the nation, that we can't ever depend on Washington, D.C. to make our lives better, that we depend on one another to make concrete changes in our community. And that by organizing together, by working together, by praying together, by worshiping together, we become a community that is resilient and a community that is able to create liberation in ways that Washington DC would never be able to create for us because they don't know what it is they they don't understand kind of even what that might mean. And so I think that even in these in these times when it is so difficult, I think that there is so much hope. I mean, think about what we've been through as in a as a community in the past several years. It's it's been it's been bad the um the ways in which border patrol has has shown up, the ways in which our school systems have been you know, with the ethnic studies battle, and, and there's been so many things that we have we have been able to survive. And so I think that we have, you know, beautiful tools that we can share with other communities about, about survival and about hope. So if people want to know more about Southside Presbyterian Church and the work that we're doing, they can visit our website at southsidepresbyterian.org. And if there are folks who are listening who need meals or showers, they can come by the church on um, Mondays and Fridays at 7 a.m., if there are workers who need employment, um, day labor employment, they can come by the worker center Monday through Saturday at, at 6. And if anybody needs really amazing workers, they can also come by the church parking lot and there's, there's someone, a volunteer, who will help them hire the worker who is who is right for them. We're just so grateful to be in the Tucson community. I mean, we have a beautiful and vibrant community and we're proud of the role that we've played in that. We're We're proud that Tucsonans really look to Southside to provide hope and to provide vision and leadership for these days. And we're really so grateful for the ways in which Tucson has consistently stood with Southside um, in the work that we've done.
0: We'll have to leave it there. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Our guest today has been Reverend Allison Harrington, pastor at Southside Presbyterian Church. And they are having a celebration on November 18th from 4 to 7.30 p.m. on their Southside Presbyterian campus for John Fife's 50 years of ministry in the borderlands.